Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Yo, it is 7.50 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 4th of April, 2022. We've all seemed to have survived April Fool's Day. Thank God. This is episode 568 of Bitcoin and snatching consciousness out of the jaws of beautiful, beautiful sleep. I've literally been up since 11.30 p.m. last night. And it's not because I had anything to do. No, 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 no. Uh-uh, no, I was in bed. I was sleeping like a little baby. 9.30, got, you know, got the, hit the sheets, took a melatonin, you know, because I've been having problems sleeping. And I fell into a great sleep and I had dreams and, you know, like, it was great. And then I woke up. And I was like, going, wait a minute, this feels weird. What the hell time is it? Look at my phone, and it's 11.37 p.m. Two hours after I got to sleep, I woke back up. And guess what? Nope, I did not go back to sleep. No, 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 no sleep for this little guy. I don't know what the hell's going on, man. I think it's the poison being injected into our information feeds, but whatever. If you want to make me sleep like a little baby, supporting the show is the way to go. You do that through Podcasting 2.0, Breeze Wallet, Sphinx Chat app, the Fountain app. All of them will allow you to stream me Satoshis while I stream you the dulcet tones. And if you don't want to do that, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and podcast. A buck a month, man. Come on. I give you the news every day. A buck a month. A buck. It's just a buck, pal. It's just a little dollar. Come on, man. It's it. Anyway, let's see. What else? Do I have any other announcements this morning? I don't think so. You know what we should probably do? Probably get into the snooze you can use. Bitcoin can change America's energy destiny. Mike Hobart going to tell us about it from Bitcoin Magazine. Since the first week of February 2022, the world's gaze has been largely focused on Russia, especially with regards to the country's affectionate position on Bitcoin. But now, nearly two months later, there are ripples that are percolating from the opposite corners of the world. With poetic timing, the kind that only the strings of fate seem capable of sowing, Exxon announced via a Bloomberg article that the company had been mining via natural gas flaring in North Dakota a mere 48 hours prior to my own article discussing how great American mining had quietly expanded their flare gas mining operations throughout the very same state. You just can't help but appreciate the beauty of how reality falls into place. Now, for the real point I am writing. This news is bigger than Russia flirting with the possibility of accepting payment in Bitcoin for oil. The reasoning is not a matter of opinion, but a matter of fact. 
Russia's nonchalant mentioning of willingness to take Bitcoin for payment by Chair Pavel Zavalny is indeed exciting, but at this time amounts to nothing more than marketing and hype. An announcement of hypothetical intent, announcements of announcements. Tron. <laughs> Justin Sun, if you don't know who I'm talking about, look him up. Justin Sun, Tron Man, a strategy that became popularized and later rendered arguably infamous. Oh, here it is by Justin Sun. The spotlighting of Exxon's Bitcoin mining operations and ConocoPhillips being operationally and successfully deployed gives us progress that is actually real. Developments that required capital deployment, job creation, and has resulted in a functioning product. A product that not only strengthens our energy providers, but also reduces their environmental footprint by bringing fossil fuels to market gracing society with the capability of producing heavily relied upon plastic polymers and reliable energy, which alternative energies require as a backstop, both of which will be needed aggressively as the United States move to bring chip foundries to our shores amid the likely future domestic operations that will aim to further expand as geopolitical goals shift away from globalization and just-in-time production to bolstering our economic resilience, such as, you know, shipping, agriculture, and general technology manufacturing. These moves by the oil and gas producers have the potential to strengthen the United States of America as long as personalities in Washington, D.C. do not trip up the industry with overbearing red tape around a technology stack that is quite clearly misunderstood. Today, there is an opportunity for America to change her destiny by being the empire that doesn't fall like those of history. Or she can shoot herself in the knee and assist in expediting the fall upon her own sword. Again, Mike Hobart writing for Bitcoin Magazine. That was a nice little, a short little piece to get us started for the day. What the hell's next? I don't know. What the hell is next? Uh, hold on for a sec. I got a snafu going on here. This is what I wanted to bring you. Bitcoin Magazine, Zach Vole, writing it. Your, oh, sorry, with empty Bitcoin mempools, it's time to consolidate your UXTOs. Bitcoin mempools aren't what they used to be, at least when measured by unconfirmed transaction levels. Network use is down from the market peak in 2021, and with emptier mempools come cheaper fees, both of which have a few notable effects on the network and its users. Mempool is a portemonnaie of memory pool, which is the label given to the holding depot for Bitcoin transactions that are waiting for confirmation and inclusion into new blocks by miners. Each node has its own transaction mempool, but conversationally, Bitcoin mempools are usually referred to as the mempool. Mempool levels fluctuate with the day-to-day -day use of Bitcoin's network, and when a node receives a new block, the transactions included in that block are removed from the mempool. A relatively full mempool signals that the network use is strong and miners are earning healthy amounts of revenue from transaction fees. Empty mempools signal lower network use and thus lower fee revenue for miners. Bitcoin mempools have been emptying regularly for the past eight months compared to the relatively high level seen in mempools through April and May of 2021, mempool weight by VMD and transaction have dropped and plateaued since early July of 2021. 
On Twitter, a tracking bot called at mempool underscore alert is a handy tool for monitoring when mempools are emptying. The account tweets alerts after each block that clears all transactions currently waiting in the mempool belonging to the node run by whoever maintains the Twitter account, which serves as a fairly good proxy for mempool levels for nodes across the network. Increasing frequency of clearing the mempool started in July of 2021 and has continued to date with mempool levels remaining largely unchanged. The chart below shows the daily count of blocks that cleared the mempool over roughly the past few two months, visualizing the latest data in the ongoing trend. Just from this subset of recent mempool data, the time series shows an average of roughly 20 blocks per day that completely clear the mempool. Also, the five days with over 30 blocks that cleared the mempool stand out. And with an expected average of 144 blocks mined per day, those days saw over 20% of all blocks empty the mempool. In July of 2021, low mem mempool levels coincided with a significant drop in hash rate and price after China's ban on mining. Usually a drop in hash rate causes the mempool to fill up because fewer miners are processing transactions, but the mempool was emptier this time at the same time that miners were forced offline in China. Transaction volumes on Bitcoin also dropped. Even though Bitcoin's price set new all-time highs a few months later in late 2021, the mempool stayed empty. Hash rate and mining difficulty also rebounded significantly late last year, but the mempool still remained empty. Exactly why mempool levels are low is an open question. Increased adoption of Bitcoin's layer two protocols like Lightning Network is one possible explanation, but the better question is, does it matter? The current state of Bitcoin mempools has, seen, has been seen before. As recently as the last bull market, pending transaction levels soared through late 2017 into 2018. By April of 2018, the mempool was essentially empty again and stayed that way until early 2020. Through most of 2020, mempool levels started climbing. Transaction counts soared from January 2021 through early June 2021 before returning to their pre-2020 levels, bringing the mempool to its current frequently emptied state. The screenshot below from mempool visualization built by German developer Joachim Honecki, and there's no way I can pronounce it, shows the two iterations of this mempool pattern. And indeed, there's a picture of a graph. Picture a graph in your mind, okay? Let's go on. And of course, this begs the question, is Bitcoin in a bear market again? Making this determination based on the mempool is not possible, but transaction levels and low fee revenue definitely suggest fewer people today are using the Bitcoin blockchain compared to one year ago. But it's definitely not a bear market for miners with hash rate and difficulty continuing to climb. And because the Bitcoin network functions well at any mempool level, users and miners are largely unaffected. The most obvious effect on miners is a significant reduction in fee revenue. At the time of writing, fees accounted for 1.08% of total block reward revenue. In the short term, this matters very little, but miners obviously expect this to not extend years into the future as the mining subsidy revenue drops with each halving. Low mempool levels mean cheap transaction fees and discounted fees give Bitcoin hodlers an opportunity to consolidate their unspent transaction outputs, otherwise known as UTXOs, in each wallet 
or across wallets. UTXO consolidation or wallet consolidation is simply a process of combining small bits of Bitcoin in a single wallet or across many wallets into larger chunks of Bitcoin represented by fewer, larger UTXOs. An address with many small UTXOs can be consolidated by simply spending the entire balance held by that wallet to a new address. All the various existing UTXOs will each be represented as a separate input into the spend, and the output will be a single UTXO with a new address. Consolidation accomplished. Eventually, as the new wallet receives other transactions over time, these other UTXOs can be consolidated by simply repeating the process. So why consolidate? Privacy, security, and cheaper fees are all reasons to consolidate. Continually receiving spins to the same address is a notoriously bad Bitcoin privacy practice. <clears throat> address reuse is important, and with added privacy comes additional operational security. Consolidating UTXOs allows spending lighter transactions measured by VMB weight, and when network use rebounds, this reduces overall transaction fees spent by a user that consolidated. The bigger or heavier a transaction is, the more expensive it becomes. And transactions with multiple inputs, aka distributed UTXOs, are more expensive than transactions from a consolidated wallet. Consolidation is generally brought to the fore of conversation on social media when fees are low and the mempool is empty, not when network use is high because consolidating in these conditions defeats one of the purposes, like, you know, cheaper spends. Privacy is also a concern when consolidating. Mixing funds from public or KYC'd addresses with private or anonymous addresses, for example, would hurt more than help a user's privacy, for example. And there's never a good reason to consolidate all funds into a single address. With little indication that mempool levels will suddenly increase and transactions become more expensive, readers probably have some time to consider their own UTXO consolidation and read more about the process. Here are a few supplemental resources that will help a novice in planning to consolidate. The one from CASA here is actually, where is it? Uh, Support.keys.casa. You can go for a helpful explainer over there. Andreas Antonopoulos produced a short video. Of course, there's a link in this article with that explaining UTXO consolidation. And Reddit users, oh my God, Reddit users on our Bitcoin shared helpful comments on UTXO consolidation here. <clears throat> Not sure about Reddit. Place kind of scares me nowadays. Conclusion. Mempool levels are low and the network is possibly repeating a post-bull market mempool cycle from late 2017. But even as mempools are clearing more frequently, the network continues operating normally, even if miners are earning significantly less fee revenue. And perhaps, or sorry, and periods, when the network is relatively underutilized and transaction levels are low are opportune for consolidating said UTXOs. The mempool will inevitably start filling up at some point in the future, but for now, almost no one is complaining about cheap fees. So again, Jack Vole telling us about UTXO consolidation and now's the time to probably do it from Bitcoin Magazine. What else is on deck? Let's see here. Oh, Coindesk. We've got Ashara Malwa saying that some 1,400 Ether from Ronin Exploit has moved to Tornado Cash uh, as far as the data shows. If you don't remember, the Ronin Exploit was one of the largest exploits that happened last week. 
and now some of that ether is actually moving. So let's find more, find out more about it. The exploiter behind Ronin's unprecedented $625 million bridge attack from last week apparently moved some 1400 ether to privacy tool Tornado Cash on Monday morning. On-chain data connected to the exploits addresses show. The main Ethereum address associated with the exploit sent more than 2,001 Ether in two transactions to a different address labeled Ronin Bridge Exploiter 8 on the tracking tool Etherscan in early Asian hours. Some 1,400 Ether were then sent to Tornado Cash over 14 transactions, the data apparently show. The moved Ether was valued at over $4.9 million at time of writing. Tornado enhances the privacy of transactions by breaking the on-chain link between a source and a destination address. This allows exploiters and hackers to mask their address while withdrawing illicitly gained funds. Over 600 Ether valued at $2 million remains in the Exploiter 8 wallet at time of writing. Uh, the main wallet that holds stolen funds has an excess, excess of 100 and 73,000 Ether valued at over 607 million right now. Several thousands of Ether have previously moved to other wallets, data apparently show. Those transactions range from one Ether to over 10 Ether. Ronin Network was hit by the exploit last week that affected Ronin validator nodes for Sky Mavis, the publisher of the popular Axie Infinity game and the Axie DAO. The attacker used hacked private keys in order to forge fake withdrawals from the Ronin bridge across two transactions as seen on Etherscan. Uh, investigations are underway with all former Sky Mavis validators said to have been replaced. So there you go. The coins are on the move. Um, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, stop jacking around with Ethereum and its associated crappy-ass network of validators and bridges and sushi swaps and DeFi's and all the, the rest of the scum-ass Hitler youth, all it's really going to do is lose you your money. If you want to lose your money, well, by, by all means, go play around with this crap. But man, I am here to tell you eight ways from Sunday, you shouldn't do this. And again, if you need to know why you shouldn't be jacking around with DeFi, We've got DeFi lender inverse finance has been exploited for $15.6 million. Also from Coindesk, this one, Sam Kessler's writing, Ethereum-based lending protocol inverse finance said Saturday that it suffered from an exploit with an attacker netting $15.6 million worth of stolen cryptocurrency. Guys, this happened literally Saturday. And I just told you about the Ronin hack, which happened a couple of days before last Saturday. This, the dominoes are falling one by one on this bullshit. Stay as far away from it as you can. According to Inverse, the attacker targeted its anchor money market, artificially manipulating token prices to borrow loans against extremely low collateral. This is the third multi-million dollar hack of a decentralized finance protocol to make headlines this week. And it underscores the increasingly sophisticated techniques being levied by attackers. On Tuesday, the gaming-focused Ronin network announced its loss of $625 million, and leading protocol Ola Finance said that it was exploited for $3.6 million. 
According to blockchain security firm PeckShield, the inverse attacker took advantage of a vulnerability in the Keeper Price Oracle inverse uses to track token prices. The attacker tricked the Oracle into thinking that the price of inverse's INV token was extraordinarily high and then took out a multi-million dollar loan on Anchor using the inflated INV as collateral. This is what's known as a flash loan attack, guys. I'm just saying. The attack was notably well-financed. In order to pull it off, the attacker first withdrew 901 ETH from Tornado Cash, which it which is used to disperse crypto without leaving a clear trail. Kind of makes me wonder if some of those coins were, I don't know, maybe not, whatever. I was thinking it might be Ronin, but I, timing's off. The attacker then injected the mystery funds into several trading pairs on the decentralized exchange, Sushi Swap, of course, inflating the price of INV in the eyes of the keeper price oracle. With the price of INV sufficiently high, the attacker then took out INV-backed loans, loans, plural, that's multiple loans, on Anchor before arbitragers brought the price of INV back down to normal levels. A representative from PeckShield noted to Coindesk that the attack was high risk since the $3 million worth of crypto used to trick the price oracle would have been completely lost if the price of INV fell back to normal levels before the attacker took out the loans. Altogether, the attacker managed to run away with 1,588 Ethereum, 94, or sorry, 1,588 Ether, 94 wrapped BTC, 39 Wi-Fi, and 3,999,669 DOLA, whatever the hell that is. The attacker has cycled most of the funds back through Tornado Cash, meaning it's difficult to know where the funds will end up. But 73.5 Ether remains in the attacker's original Ethereum wallet. Inverse said in its announcement that it has temporarily paused all borrowing on Anchor and a representative for the protocol told Coindesk that it is working with Chainlink to build a new INV Oracle. Inverse also announced that it plans to make a proposal to its decentralized Autonomous Organization, or DAO, to ensure wallets impacted by the price manipulation are repaid 100%, though without providing any further details. <laughs> Number three in a week, ladies and gentlemen. Number three, how many times, how many times must this happen before people get tired of this shit? And my question now is, have we... I wonder if we've gotten through like all the, the actual retail people are like, dude, enough. I've lost enough money. And now the only people that are getting hacked are like the pro hackers and they're actually at war with each other and they're just hacking the shit out of each other on this absolutely worthless merry-go-round called DeFi. I, who knows at this point? Who knows? I just, I think it's just ridiculous. So Texas Slim little advertisement from my buddy, Texas Slim, at Modern T-Man is the handle that you're looking for on Twitter. It's a call to action and a, and a relationship. We invite you to establish the Beef Box. Pay in Bitcoin or fiat at Beef Initiative and at KNC Cattle. Beefinitiative.com forward slash the Beef Box. Hey, you want some beef? You want to pay it in Bitcoin? Maybe get it delivered to your ass. Maybe get some meat from the guys down in Austin and KNC cattle. Well, you can do that through the beef box 
at beefinitiative.com forward slash the hyphen beef hyphen box brought to you by our man, Modern Tea Man. Now, also an announcement here and kind of an ad. No, I'm not getting paid for this, by the way. I'm just doing it because I love you guys. Note, at Play Shamari will be at the Bitcoin conference, Bitcoin 2022, and they're going to be located at booth 32, which is inside the Bitcoin Bazaar. I have freaking no idea what the hell that is. Why? Because I've never gone to the Bitcoin conference. I never can go. It's too damn expensive to fly from Texas to freaking Florida. And I don't know who's paying what for what are obviously extraordinarily expensive tickets, but it ain't me. And it's not because I don't like the Bitcoin conference. I'm, I'm excited to hear what kind of weirdness is going to be announced at this year's, you know, gig. Because last year, well, last year, you like, shit, you know what happened last year. And this one's supposed to have 35,000 people. So it's going to be apparently like this ultra massive thing. In either event, make sure that you go to at PlayShamery. Okay, that's the Twitter account. But the game is PlayShamery. They're at booth 32 inside the Bitcoin Bazaar at the Bitcoin conference. Go and meet and say hello to Scott Sibley. He's one of the, I think it was him and his wife, I believe are the creators of Play Shamari. I know Scott's one, one half of that. I'm pretty sure his wife is the other part. And uh, check out his card game. Check out all the other stuff. They got a book. I think they got a video going on. Um, really happy about Scott being able to, to turn something that he loves into something that can, you know, turn, turn an actual profit, you know, to pay bills and stuff like that. And he's a good guy. He's a really good guy. So go shake his hand, uh, have him show you the card, uh, card deck, of play Shamari. If you got kids, kids love that game. I'm telling you, man, ask me how I know. And tell him that Nunya Business, also known as David Bennett from the Bitcoin and podcast, sends his warm, warmest regards. Okay, big improvement at NB Explorer. All right, now this is from Nicholas Dorier. I want to always pronounce it Doye, but that's not the way he pronounces it. So it's Dorier, Nicholas Dorier, the guy that brought you BTC Pay Server because he got really, really pissed off at some people and called them a bunch of liars and said that he was going to obsolete them. And... Then he proceeded to actually write some code that obsoleted them. And I can't even remember the name of the original company, but they were bad actors in the space. Let's read what the hell's going on with BTC Pay Server right now. I have been working on a little known pillar of BTC Pay Server called NB Explorer. It's an infrastructure server called a UTXO tracker. And in a nutshell, when you use BTC Pay Server, we depend on NB Explorer for getting notifications when a new payment arrives, for showing the balance of your wallet, for creating transactions, and showing your transaction history. While NB Explorer is only one of the bricks required by BTC Pay Server, some numbers about the update. It uses 70% less RAM consumption. It starts immediately. No, I don't exactly know what that means. It just says start immediately. Negative 70% of space requirements and the database can be expected, inspected and queried directly for custom needs. So it was created five years ago 
It is a project started at DG Lab as a server for multi-asset wallet based on elements or uh, liquid. This wallet got used in our first BC2 conference in Tokyo. I decided to then adapt NB Explorer for Bitcoin. The reason about not using Bitcoin Core directly was mainly the lack of flexibility of the API and the lack of multi-tenancy support and decent uh, HD cold wallet support. After making NB Explorer, I built BTC Pay Server on top of it and kept improving it since then. Nowadays, not only all BTC Pay Server users, but also a few exchanges and other big businesses rely on this project for internal operations. NB Explorer is up to now had a fundamental issue. It relied on a NoSQL database called DBreeze. This database project was in a sad state. So, so two years ago, I ended up rewriting it in a project called DBTRI or DBTRIE, T-R-I-E. Why did I use this rather than uh, Postgres in the first place? The idea was that MB Explorer was easier to run as there was no dependency. Build, run Bitcoin Core, run MB Explorer, Done. However, making your own database is complicated and you can't really beat a project that has 20 years, that's 20 years old and it has that kind of active community working relentlessly on it. DBTree had bugs impacting some big users and causing corruptions. This is a nightmare scenario, not only for the impacted user, but for myself as I needed to debug it before problems reach other users. Uh, DBTree can't share access with multiple apps due to no, no SQL nature of the design of MB Explorer. We needed to keep the chain of block headers in memory, making MB Explorer quite heavy in resource consumption. Because the database was only a store of ordered data, we were calculating the UTXO set of a wallet at every request to MB Explorer. And if your wallet had a history of 100,000 transactions, it could take 20 to 30 seconds or more to calculate your balance. The more transactions in a wallet, the slower it became. It was, an, it was a linear relationship. No way to leverage the skills of database administrators to solve common issues that companies had. I decided to migrate MB Explorer on Postgres, taking advantage of good old SQL. Lots of the logic that was inside MB Explorer code got pushed in SQL. The schema is well-documented and efficient. It provides easy queries to the database for getting balances, UTXOs, and see recent activity of the wallet, build histograms, and create activity reports. I encourage people to use the schema while making their own indexer. MB Explorer at the current version isn't exposing the full power of what the schema allows. The schema is multi-chain, multi-asset, and multi-tenant. You are encouraged to create your own APIs on top of it if you need it. It allows the creation of wallets into which you can add output descriptors and or individual addresses and scripts. <clears throat> wallets can also be nested into each other. Imagine you run a business with multiple stores. You can have one wallet by stores, then nest them inside the business wallet. You can then easily query wallet UTXOs, balances, recent changes, make histograms of how wallet balance is at any level evolve over time. As always, MB Explorer isn't indexing the whole blockchain, only transactions involving a script pub key in the scripts table. It means it can run without a lot of storage and memory requirement. 
while MB Explorer runs on a date on the database, you can also query and interact with the schema directly by creating wallets and your own descriptors. For all of this, you also now need only 60 megabytes of RAM to run MB Explorer instead of the 200 plus megabyte as on the supported chain. That's around a 70% memory reduction. Fast start, no more defragmenting process, taking longer times when the server restarts, no need to load the chain of header either. And more efficiency on storage space, around 70% less space is required to store the data of the Explorer. So there you go. There you go, man. Let's, well, let, let's actually, I'm gonna read you the conclusion here. MB Explorer improves significantly and I expect it will become a pillar not only to BTC Pay Server, but to many other services. We will use the improvements to MB Explorer to provide exciting analytics queries over your store's wallet in BTC Pay Server. No matter how big your store is, it will smoothly work. Will you use NBX Explorer's API or just query the tables directly? The choice is yours. Now there is enough flexibility for any of your demands. All right, sorry, that's a little rough. You know, Nicholas, I believe he is French and, uh, you know, you know, writing in, in not your native tongue is, is difficult. I wouldn't even dare try writing in Spanish right now, even though I've taken six years of it. Um, I just would I just wouldn't do it. Why? Not my native tongue, bro. Not my native tongue. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities. <clears throat> West Texas intermediate still over a hundred dollars, $102 and 62 cents to be exact. After a 3.375% bump in price, Brent North Sea likewise up 3% to $107.44. Natural gas even getting a bump half a percent to $5.75 per thousand. And gasoline, one and a half percent to the upside to $3.20. Gold also seeing some upside action, 0.69% to the upside, $1,936.70. Silver up over a half, platinum is up 0.4, copper is up almost two points, and palladium is up one and three quarter point. Agricultural futures are all up, every single one of them, and the biggest winner today is going to be, as usual, wheat, up just a hair over two point, oh, well, uh, just a hair over two percent, that's why we say that. Soybeans up a hair over one percent, corn is up 1.77 percent, sugar is up 1.7 Coffee is up a third of a percent. Cotton is up one and a half. Rough rice up a third. And cocoa up almost damn near two full points. Dow down 0.05%. S&P up 0.12%. And after Elon Musk decided to buy 10% of the shares of freaking Twitter, NASDAQ is now up a quarter of a point. It's the only rally point that they got going on today. S&P Mini is completely unchanged. And yes, if you hadn't heard yet, Elon Musk has taken a damn near, I think it's a 9.2, it's either 9.2 or 9.6% stake in, in uh, Twitter, right? Now, it's saying that it's non-participating, and I'm not exactly sure what that means, but I kind of read that as non-voting, so he's got 10 he's the largest shareholder of Twitter right now and if non 
participating means what I think it means. It means the largest shareholder cannot actually vote. Somebody please tell me what the hell non-participating shareholder means because I just I I just don't feel like Googling it and I got better fish to fry for y'all. Uh, what do we got? Oh yeah, real money. Well, it's just kind of bouncing around again. $46,028, 240,000 transactions in the last 24 hours is just over 10,000 transactions per hour on average with a scant 444,000 BTC changing hands in that period. That's a mere 18,500 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with 1.84 BTC being the average transaction value. And the median transaction value is low at 0.011 BTC or 502 bucks. Block times are likewise low, nine minutes and 36 seconds. 0.079 BTC in fees on a per block basis, 11.76 BTC taken in fees overall last 24 hours. With a 7.83% bump in hash rate, we are back over 200 to 201.48 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Doge. So guess what? Can you guess what happened to the price? I just told you about Elon Musk. That's right. The shitcoin king, Dogecoin, is at 15.1 cents again, and it ain't worth 0.1 of them. Now, there's only 3,128 transactions waiting on three blocks to clear. We have an $875 billion market cap. That is a mere 6.88% of gold's entire market cap. And now we can only buy 23.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are, flip it, 19,2279.68. And 3,677.9 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $169.3 million. Uh, running over 19,708 nodes. And I'm going to pause right there to make a little, not disclaimer, a little note. I've been watching the no total amount of lightning, or of, of not lightning nodes, <laughs> sorry. Yes, of lightning nodes. I'm watching the total percent or not, uh, the total number of lightning nodes kind of decrease. Kind of makes me a little sad because we were over 20,000 lightning nodes as total node number. Uh, a few weeks, you know, like, I don't know, three, four weeks ago. And now we're, what, we're just hanging on to, you know, 19,700. 19, so come on, guys, spin up your damn nodes. Learn how to, learn how to node and node on, bro. Uh, 2,734 BTC are locked in the Lightning Network via the, uh, the Tor Network. And the Tor side of the Lightning Network has 74.4% of all traffic running through its associated 11,691 Tor Lightning nodes, or at least the ones that we know about, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use, and God knows I could use a snooze. I'm excited about this one, though. This is a different one. It's about Bitcoin, kind of, but it also comes into something else that I am really have been interested in for a long time since, ever I, since I first heard about it, uh, and that is what Bitcoiners need to know about jury nullification in a hostile legal system. Colin Crossman for Bitcoin Magazine. 
With everything going on in the world today, it seems likely that state-level attacks on Bitcoiners will continue to increase. Furthermore, as Bitcoin puts pressure on traditional power structures, the authorities will almost certainly extend or enact unconscionable laws to restrict, tax, or otherwise frustrate the free flow of Bitcoin capital. Eventually, a Bitcoiner is likely to find themselves on a jury and asked to sit in judgment of another Bitcoiner charged with violating one of these unjust laws. It is my contention that all Bitcoiners need to at least have heard about jury nullification in advance as part of their toolkit to help resist at the last possible moment laws and state actions which most Bitcoiners would believe to be unethical. What is jury nullification? Well, ladies and gentlemen, jury nullification is a consequence of a fair and impartial jury system. Put most simply, it is the power of a criminal jury to return a not guilty verdict, even though the prosecution meets the legal burden for a guilty verdict. It often stems from changes in the societal moral compass. For instance, when an act is no longer deemed to be criminal by that day's standards. It is not what one might call an explicit right of a jury, but rather it is a necessary logical consequence of any system that purports to maintain a fair and impartial jury. The United States Supreme Court held that quote, although a judge may direct a verdict for the defendant if the evidence is legally insufficient to establish guilt, he may not direct a verdict for the state, no matter how overwhelming the evidence, end quote. In other words, if the jury returns a guilty verdict that the judge deems unfair and unwarranted, the judge can vacate the verdict and let the defendant go. But no matter what, the judge cannot overrule a not guilty verdict and declare a defendant guilty. As soon as a judge has the power to find guilt in favor of the state in a criminal trial, the purpose of juries ceases to exist as mere window dressing, a status that the Constitution will not allow. It is true that, quote, the judge cannot direct a verdict and that, quote, the jury has the power to bring in a verdict in the teeth of both law and facts, the technical right, if it can be called so to decide against the law and the facts, end quote. Historically, one of the most important instances of jury nullification was the trial of William Penn and William Meade. Taking place in 1670s England, the two were brought up on charges of preaching to an unlawful assembly. When the jurors tried to find them not guilty by jury nullification, they were thrown in jail, threatened, starved for two days, and then, when they did not comply with the judge's wishes, fined and jailed until they could pay their fines. For some of them, this meant months in jail. The instance is so important in history, in fact, that it is commemorated in a plaque hanging in the Old Bailey. This case, the, and others like it in the 17th and 18th centuries, played a pivotal role in the jury trial rights built into the United States Constitution. In the United States, jury nullification has similarly left a long and important mark on our country. The framers of the Constitution were well aware of the power of the jury and the inevitability of the power of nullification when they enshrined the right to a jury trial in the Bill of Rights. Indeed, Thomas Jefferson believed that it remained the last check on unwarranted state power. 
It was used in the pre-Civil War period by Northern juries to refuse to convict abolitionists for violating the Fugitive Slave Act, and later during Prohibition, it was used to frustrate alcohol control laws. Of course, it was also used in the same way by racist juries to refuse convictions for crimes such as lynchings, but by and large, nullification has been used in ways which would be understandable and still considered positive today. I guess except for that last one, that lynching shit. That's kind of hardcore, bro. Today, the courts and judicial system strongly discourage jury nullification at every turn. The belief is that the ability of a jury to nullify a law by returning a not guilty verdict, even in the face of incontrovertible facts, is a decidedly negative side effect of the Constitution's guarantee of a trial by jury. The system takes extreme measures to ensure that a jury is as far in the dark about this power as possible, even falsely telling a jury, quote, there is no such thing as valid jury nullification, end quote, and that they would, quote, violate their oath and the law if you willfully brought in a verdict contrary to the law, end quote, when the jury explicitly asked the judge about nullification. Lawyers for the defense cannot directly advocate for the jury to nullify. Even passing out pamphlets about jury nullification on courthouse grounds has resulted in people being arrested for jury tampering. As was mentioned in the introduction, this is a power of juries that you not only want to be told about if you ever serve on a jury, but which the system will actively resist allowing you to exercise therefore. It is imperative for all Bitcoiners to at least know that it exists and that they cannot be punished by the court for exercising it. The court and the judge is likely to even lie to you about the power of jury nullification. In addition, if you want to survive selection onto a jury and do so honestly, you must give some thought into how to answer the questions which will be asked under oath if you, during voir dire, the technical name for the jury selection process. If you come out and say, I believe in jury nullification, yo, you will almost certainly be excluded from the jury. Alternatively, if you lie, you would be committing perjury. However, with thoughtful consideration, many of the questions which are asked of you could be answered honestly in a way that doesn't make clear that you understand that jury nullification is a power that you would possess as a juror. I feel in the near future, the necessity of jury nullification will once again come to the forefront as our federal and state governments attempt to attack or restrict control of the transactional freedom that Bitcoin provides. And it may be oppressive KYC laws, insane applications of the travel rule, pushing taxation, simple outright banning and or confiscation like Executive Order 6102 or some fresh hell not yet conceived while we don't yet know what avenues they will take to attempt to reassert their unethical and immoral surveillance state upon Bitcoin, it is imperative that all Bitcoiners understand that they are each and individually, not just protecting the sanctity of the time chain, but also they are the last line of defense for transactional freedom. And that's the end of the article. However, I got to say a couple of things here. First of all, I'm not sure, okay, jury or the jury nullification thing, it's a deal. It really exists. I've been hearing about this shit for years. What I used to hear about it was that one juror could completely tank an entire conviction by saying, 
I'm just, I, this is an unjust law. I don't believe in this law as a man of conscience or a woman of conscience. I may not allow myself to deliver a guilty verdict, set the man free. And apparently that scuttles the entire court case, but I, I don't know. I've never actually sat on a jury. It's somehow or another, I've never had to do it, which probably means that I'll get my letter of, you know, sir to serve in the mail tomorrow and then I'll go and then they'll probably have me on some kind of court case in either event. Be, I'm not saying be careful with this, but this is really worth doing the due diligence on to make sure what's going on. Because if it's a case where one person votes against and somehow or another, you can still, you know, they can still, the guy can still get convicted, then, you know, we got a problem here. However, if it is the case, 100%, that one person in a, you know, a group of 12 can say, nope, and not gonna happen, and that guy has to walk free, you can bet your bottom dollar that all the way up through that entire process, you're going to be the one person that stopped the young mother from being with her kids because now there's a whole shit ton of stuff that has to happen. You will be verbally abused. You will be, they may even throw like wadded up pieces of paper at you. They may tell you that it's your fault that they're having to continuously eat this food that's brought in that sucks. I'm, what I'm saying here is that no matter how legal this shit is, and it is, that does not mean that you're just going to be sitting there in the freaking seat saying, nope, he's not guilty. This is an insane law. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you too. It's, and then walk out. That's not going to happen. Now, you won't go to jail because this is legal. It is in the Constitution. Yes, everything that was said about this is actually true. Still, understand what you're getting into. You better be dead sure that you want to execute this shit because you will pay. You won't go to jail and they won't find you because they can't. But during the time, all the way from the time that you say jury nullification in your mind, all the way until you finally get to go home is probably not going to be a cakewalk. So just be aware, you better be deadly serious about executing this shit. It can't just be nonchalant crap. It's gotta be a real case. It's gotta be really important. It's got to be something where you, when you do jury nullification, it can't just be trolling the fucking court. Okay. Cause that shit can, that shit can get in. If they find out you're trolling the court by, I don't know, asking you a bunch of questions about why you did what you did. And you were like, I'm just messing with y'all, but since I can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Wrong answer, bro. Contempt of court right there. You're going to have to be Johnny on the spot with how sincere you are, but this shit is important. Jury nullification. Go read more about it. Uh, what do we got on deck here? Hold on, hold on. Oh yeah, this one right here, Bitcoin Magazine. And it is written by who? Oh, uh, Dawdu M. Amantehna. Okay, sorry guys. I mean, I, I, I'm not good at it. You know that. Meet B-Trust Abu Bakar Nur. Khalil, Africa's Bitcoin innovation savior. Anyone who has family in Africa or friends on the continent understands how difficult it is to transfer money via remittances outside of Bitcoin. 
With the recent government banning of Twitter and continual debasement of the Naira in Nigeria, the process can be very frustrating. For many, it's not necessarily the promise of profit that gets poor people on board to use Bitcoin. It's the ability to just remit value outside the traditional financial rails. The promise of participating for the first time in a system of exchange where the same rules apply to everyone, regardless of their access to, to traditional finance, is a major driver of Bitcoin adoption in places like Nigeria. Bitcoin's future in Africa looks very promising, particularly given dynamics such as Kenya's, where one-fifth of adults were still unbanked as of 2017, though it leads the continent in share of internet users. Such dynamics create environments where people could soon be buying Bitcoin by the millions, and this is becoming the case in Nigeria. According to the conversation, for instance, the Nigerian National Bureau of Statistics said that in 2020, 40% or 83 million Nigerians live in poverty, although Nigeria's poverty profile for 2021 has not yet been released. It is estimated that the number of poor people will increase to 90 million or 45% of the population in 2022. Bitcoin has skyrocketed in the country, likely due in large part to this poverty and people looking to opt into Bitcoin as a store of value measure. The country recently ranked in the top 10 out of 154 countries analyzed for crypto adoption. To explore this trend further, I had the honor of speaking with Abu Bakar, a tech whiz newly coming out of the shadows of poverty in West Africa. Whether it is by spearheading recursive capital as its CEO or in his role as a Bitcoin core contributor who has received $50,000 in Bitcoin from the Human Rights Foundation for his work on Bitcoin wallet software, he's a true example of autodidacticism, teaching himself programming skills to contribute to the Bitcoin improvement process. According to the Recursive Capital Medium account, he successfully created his first pull request at the age of 20. 20 people. He was 20 years old. He couldn't even drink in the United States legally at the time. He reviewed more than 60 pull requests in 2021 alone and increased his total number of merge pull requests to lead the African continent with the highest number of contributions to Bitcoin Core. Although Recursive Capital is an early stage Bitcoin venture capital fund, it has massive potential in the Bitcoin space with Nigerians using Bitcoin and Lightning Network products and services as an increasing part of their day-to-day -day lives. The entire focus for Recursive is strictly on Bitcoin companies or companies that use Bitcoin within their infrastructure. He said it helps the ecosystem of Bitcoin in Africa as well if the company stays focused on Bitcoin only projects deemed for funding. There is a lot of facilitation in the cryptocurrency space with tons of alternatives coins clogging up the industry with noise. One of the companies in this portfolio, Bitnob, is a digital wallet taking Africa by storm by integrating Bitcoin and secure and convenient transactions for Lightning Network remittances. He praised Bitnob's efficacy to save, borrow, pay, receive, and get paid in Bitcoin on time. And timing is everything, especially in Nigeria, which is subject to power outages, unpredictable Wi-Fi, and financial scams. Recursive has a long-term approach for the growth of its portfolio, and pioneering the space with applications such as Bitnob gives the venture capital firm more validity. Energy is abundant on the continent of Africa, and Recursive plans to utilize flare gas 
or some renewable energy source to fund companies curious about mining the digital asset. Off-grid solutions using hydro and solar could connect rural communities to economic opportunities using Bitcoin. Mining Bitcoin could build a sturdy energy infrastructure that creates jobs, making it easier for regulators to get on board. Recursive capital plans on improving its primary use case for freedom money, which provides proper access to the user with Bitcoin. Recursive is also building an incubator to pump out developers and education around Bitcoin in Africa. Education is crucial to avoid missing out on the consistent innovation common in the Bitcoin network. Recursive Capital plans to facilitate education around security and how Bitcoin can be a safe place to store your money. Twitter and Block founder Jack Dorsey, <coughs> excuse me guys, Twitter and Block founder Jack Dorsey is really in tune with Nigeria's Bitcoin adoption. He even tweeted, quote, the people of Nigeria will lead Bitcoin, end quote. Dorsey is very consistent in building out Bitcoin companies such as Block Inc., formerly known as Square Inc., and Spiral. I asked Khalil about how he connected with Dorsey and surpassed 7,000 applicants vying for a spot to be on board, uh, one of the board members for the B Trust, taking a leap of faith. Khalil, with the encouragement of his brother, applied and forgot about the application because it took several, several months for the vetting process, which involved a lot of quality control that must come with a blind trust. Receiving an email stating that he made it to the next round was exciting and game-changing for Khalil after several interviews. The final call was the best-kept secret because Dorsey got on the phone to speak with Khalil directly. To remove distractions of the constant news and movement in the Bitcoin space, he made it a point to document his vision for Bitcoin, and this helped him relay questions and provided technical solutions to Dorsey, which likely left a positive impression. Both 500 BTC will be added to the B-Trust Endowment to fund Bitcoin development, initially focused on teams in Africa and India, and neither of its founders, Dorsey and Jay-Z, will weigh in on how those funds are deployed, which is why board members Khalil, Carla Kirk Cohen, Obi Nwosu, and Ajoma Ashai are crucial in laying the groundwork for millions of Africans waiting to build on and utilize Bitcoin as a means of financial freedom and a store of value that will lift the continent out of poverty. This trust will be highly impactful to Africa, India, and the Bitcoin ecosystem around the world. The future is looking bright for recursive capital and with Bitcoin being laid as the groundwork of its foundation, it's a guaranteed win-win. All right, so... I love the adoption of Bitcoin on on the continent of Africa. And I've heard about this guy on a, uh, a few times, especially when they announced the board members of the, of the B-Trust. But I had no idea that he was the leading pull request guy from the entire continent of Africa. I mean, honestly, when you think about it, dude, that's pretty slick. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Monday, starting the week off with a joke. Dad says joke. I was at a job interview today when the manager handed me a laptop and said, I want you to try to sell this to me. So I put it under my arm, left the building and went home. Eventually he called me and said, bring my laptop back now. I told him $200 and it's yours.
almost sounds like a shitcoin scam, to tell you the truth. In either event, um, what have we learned today, ladies and gentlemen? Africa, still going strong with Bitcoin and uh, all the stuff that's going around that. We learned that Elon Musk is uh, now a shareholder in Twitter, non-participatory, whatever the F that means. Also, for those of you guys that are really excited about this, about Elon, and now he's the largest shareholder, <clears throat> that he's going to somehow or another bring some kind of balance to the force, you're fooling yourself. That man doesn't give shit one if Twitter continues to, they, Twitter could literally pull every single user and suspend all of our accounts today. And I guarantee you probably won't hear shit out of, out of Elon, except that he's just going to sell a stock because, you know, the whole thing tanked and he lost money on it. He is not going to go to the mat for freedom of speech. He's not going to say shit about it. And there's a lot of people that I'm, I'm seeing them today saying, oh my God, thankfully we've got a savior and he's going he's gonna to make him not suspend people's accounts for this and that bullshit. Elon ain't doing dick. Mark my words, that man couldn't give a flying rat's ass about freedom of speech. What he does care about is continuously getting subsidies from the United States government in the form of, that's right, my tax dollars, your tax dollars, your future's children's tax dollars, all of it, all of it. Because that's how he built a big enough company so that he could have enough freaking money so that he could throw $3 billion at Twitter and buy 10% of their shit in a non-participatory manner, which means that he probably won't get tagged when he can't do shit about their censorship. That's probably why he made it non-participatory, if non-participatory is literally a non-voting block, even though he owns, he's the single largest shareholder of Twitter right now. Um, oh yeah, uh, go visit Scott Sibley at the Bitcoin conference, Bitcoin 2022. I, it's this week, it's massive, it's gonna be fun. Um, is there anything else I need to mention? Oh uh, yeah, the Beef Initiative. Be, uh, the Beef Box, uh, beefinitiative.com. That's beefinitiative.com. If you need more information about it, just ask Modern T Man at Modern T Man and possibly, I don't know, just get some, you know, buy a box of beef from KNC Cattle. And uh, I think uh, Slim is working on putting some more ranchers and stuff uh, so that people, more people can get more beef from more local producers and support the show. And if you can't, if you don't have no money, no Satoshis, no Jack, your time, five-star review on Twitter, I or Twitter, iTunes, Jesus Christ, Apple. I, I need sleep, guys. I've been up since 1130 last night. Um, Apple, iTunes, five-star review. That goes, that, that goes a long way. And your time is just as important as your financial support. I do not believe that one has more importance than the other. To me, they're equal. You either give me your time or you trade somebody else your time for something that you can trade me that represents your time. It's the same. Until you inflate the shit out of all the time that you spent here on this planet, just like the United States government and all the Western governments are doing with their crappy fiat currencies, which is why we Bitcoin. And I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.